All right, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr. You listen to episode 97 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. The show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related even endeavours. As usual, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy it. So for this episode, one of my favourite scenarios, actually got to catch up with an old mate, which is great because it means I don't have to do the research, which I must admit is quite a time-consuming part of this whole process. Um, But I've known Demi Taylor, my guest on this week's episode, for coming up to 15 years, I think. Um, we, I mean, we're not like great friends, but we're, you know, we're definitely pals, I think through work and we, um, have long known and respected each other. So yeah, I did absolutely no prep. Thought I'd turn up, have a chat in time honored looking sideways fashion, which is what I did. And it worked out great. Like I say, we go back a long way and in our, in a way our careers have run parallel really here in the UK surf industry, me in the snow industry. We've had books published for the same publisher over the years, which is something that we discussed. We usually run into each other when I'm down in Cornwall and all the rest. And I've long admired Demi's questing, creative approach to life, whether whether through her prolific writing or through the uh, programming of the London Surf Film Festival, the event she runs with a partner, Chris Nelson, which has been going for nearly a decade now. Um, Yeah, there's always uh, a lovely measure of quality and humor to what Demi Demi does and during the time that the London Surf Film Festival has been running it's quietly become one of the most essential dates on the UK calendar. There's a spirit of right celebration about it that sums up all that's great about surfing and UK surf culture in particular and it's a reflection of Demi and Chris themselves who are passionate guardians of surf culture but also do it with a smile on their faces that lets you know that they're in on the joke about how absolutely ridiculous this whole thing is. Anyway, if you've not attended the event, you really should check it out because as with everything these two do, it's a proper labour of love. And like I say, it's a brilliant celebration of UK surf culture in particular, as the duo have made sure from the start that the event is a very positive platform for our unique junky little surf scene. So with the news that the 2019 lineup had been announced, I thought it was high time I caught up with Demi to have a chat about the whole thing and find out how she's carved out such a brilliant and uh, influential career for herself. Now, I think these stories are actually really important because people like Demi, as unsung as they are, are as important a part of action sports culture as are more visible flag bearers, and I've certainly interviewed enough of them over the years. You know, sure, they occupy a more modest place in the firmament than the big-name pros that we all know and love, but make no mistake, Demi's been part of this gig for, like I say, coming up to 20 years now, and will no doubt still be passionately and steadfastly making sure our culture gets represented in the right way in another 20 years. She's a lifer, and it's people like this that have ensured the whole thing runs smoothly and still stays intact. And if you ask me, that's worth celebrating. And the other level to this is her own story. Listeners are perennially fascinated in finding out how guests ended up with such singular careers in such an unpredictable industry. I can only assume that's why people keep asking me to interview myself on this show, which is never going to happen. Anyway, Demi's story is a brilliant example of that. And really, as we discussed, this conversation is about the power of forward movement and just decision-making generally, no matter how slight or inconsequential those decisions may seem at the time. For Demi, the catalyst was going off on a road trip for six months to fulfil one crazy idea that she had 
And 15 years later, it's led to this fascinating, nourishing and um, pretty random career. And, you know, all the better for it. Now I can hear Demi, for whom affectionate piss taking is a default setting, cringing at this intro. Tough shit. It's all true. And that's why I headed up to London to sit down and get the lowdown on the whole story. So here's me and Demi. Hope you enjoy it. Nice one. Don't make me sound too squeaky. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a cold, so I sound really nasally. Even even more nasally than usual. Oh, it's a uh, thing. Yeah, nice to see you. Yeah, and you, what are you doing up in the smoke? Come to see you. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Come and see you, got the classic uh, day in London. I'm sure you must do the same, right, coming up from Cornwall? Yeah, you try and pack in yeah. as much as you can. You could tell by our uh, WhatsApp manoeuvring, you know, we were both like, okay, let, let me just try and line that up. And then 10.30, yeah. yeah, okay, and then I can do this. Because you, you need to do it, right? Exactly. You, you need to kind of make that, make it work. When you you don't... need that commitment. Yeah. You need that push as well. Yeah, yeah. But you must be up here a lot because you're currently in the thick of it, I, I imagine, right? Yeah, we are in the thick of it. We're coming up to the ninth London Surf Film Festival. Um, but actually, most of the coordination we do from down in Cornwall, Yeah, which is... That's one of the great things about the internet. Yeah. In St. Agnes, you're still down there, right? Yeah. We're just in the heart of the Badlands. Yeah. Just outside Aggie. Yeah. So you can just kind of set yourself up down there, do most of the work that you need to throughout the year, and then just come up here to sort of do the final parts. Yeah, exactly. You can kind of like just dip in and out of London. Yeah. Because although I'm in Cornwall, I still... I still love coming up to London. I still kind of, I really enjoy like immersing myself in everything that's going on up here. It's yeah. a really different pace. And I really, I kind of relish that. Yeah. I love being in Cornwall and I love, I, yeah, I like the ebb and flow of life down there, but I really enjoy the little bits of fast up here too. How long have you been down there then? Cause you're not from there, right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, um, I'm from St. Just, which right. is, right way out west um but i kind of moved away when i was little um i think i moved back to cornwall maybe like nearly 20 years ago right well the classic sort of get out your hometown get on the road but it's quite it's amazing how common that is isn't it you know like kind of everybody does that but then ends up kind of circling back at some point I think so. I think if you're from the sea, you eventually need to go back to the sea. Right. It's really nice to go and spread your wings and go and see what else is out there. But I think you're always drawn back. Yeah. What about you, sea? No, I'm from Manchester, so mm-hmm. far from it. Perhaps the most equidistant part of the country from the sea. Yeah, um, yeah I just moved to Brighton really randomly. I just, <laughs> yeah. I did, like I was, We were all doing like snowboarding seasons and then... It was the, the, you know, like you do that pattern. You, I mean, I did 10, 10 12 seasons. So you do that pattern where you'll, you go away, you find your resort. And then in the summer, it's like, oh, we'll just go wherever. And I wasn't really surfing at the time, as you can probably tell by the fact that we all moved to Brighton. Yeah. Um, so we were just like, oh yeah, Brighton, that looks all right. And then um, 20 years later, it was 20 years ago. Wow. August 1999. commitment. Yeah, I remember really clearly because it was when the eclipse was, and I'd been in Brighton a month and I ended up watching the eclipse in Lewis Tesco car park. Oh, 
Yeah, the glamour. The glamour. Yeah, exactly. High glamour. Yeah. And then as I got into surfing, which was the last one that I really got into, then I was a bit like, oh, fuck, that was a bit of a shit move, really. But you'd already committed. Yeah, you know, because obviously Bristol's your sort of classic midpoint isn't it between i i want to have some culture and want to live in a great city city. you know it's really arty and i want to say vibrant yeah yeah so did you ever live in london or did you yeah yeah i did my degree up here and my first job was up here right um i worked for a sports marketing agency well a youth marketing agency right and that was kind of i guess my steady demise into the world of surfing right but you'd surf from when you were young yeah i kind of dabbled um I think I weirdly I got even more into it actually when I moved to London. Right. Because I think I wanted it more. Right. I kind of pined for it. Um But you surfed when you were a kid? I, yeah, not like proper surfing. Um because I we left Cornwall when I was like five and we lived all over the world. We kind of lived in like Hong Kong and Saudi and stuff. There's not that much surf in Saudi. Oh what, because of what you Paris yeah because my dad's job yeah right yeah so I was like an international brat so right I did a lot of traveling yeah um yeah it took me away from the sea and then I kind of I got back into the sea probably in my teens right um when you were back in, when you were in Cornwall when we moved back to the UK right so again not back to Cornwall right so where were you then uh I think we're home counties Surrey right again not the, so again not ideal not the classic no yeah so it was more like road trips when someone could learn to drive right yeah so what was it at that age that you know drew you in as it were when you got to that point just all of it just the lifestyle the promise of what it offered travel I think because I really missed that having done a lot of traveling when I was younger. Yeah. Kind of showed you these great expanses and all these great places. It was, you know, fit, beautiful, healthy, happy, yeah. wild, countercultural, on the edge, non-conforming. Yeah, all those things. Classic things that are so alluring to a teenager. Yeah, in the home counties. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So is the travel part and the wanting to get away, was, was that a big part of it? I think it must have been yeah I've never really given it loads of thought actually yeah but yeah it probably was it was probably that like wanderlust I think if you've always had if you've always had travel in your blood and you're used to moving around yeah you really pine for that don't you yeah I mean I'm thinking back now I remember watching not really skate films (laughs) because skate films you know yeah you want to go and skate those spots or whatever but essentially it's like a Californian car park you know you don't for me it didn't mean travel it meant a good skate spot but when snowboarding films as much as I which was the thing that I was super into when I was a teenager like as much as I really wanted to go snowboarding those places I think when I watched those films it the, the travel and the exoticism of those th- things were, were a massive part of the appeal yeah totally. you know I remember like even like just plane journeys and you know going with friends and going away like seemed a long way from where I was being brought up and was, yeah it was kind very of, appealing you it know. opens up worlds doesn't it yeah and it opens up doors and it's that wonderful feeling like that we're all connected it's a really nice common bond to have with somebody yeah like you can go anywhere and you can strike up a conversation with someone just based on what 
what you love doing in your spare time. Yeah, your club, your secret little club. Yeah. Yeah. So you presumably went surfing, you know, when you got old enough, you, you went traveling, you went on the road. Is that how it worked? Yeah. I mean, we kind of did, you know, classic little road trips down to Newquay for board masters, you know, over to Wales, little like affordable camping trips out when someone got a car. We did all that sort of stuff. And then... I went like straight to university, um, like, you know, French holidays, dabbling in the sea. Yeah. You know, no great shakes, just loving being in the water. And I think really it kind of, for me, it more cemented when I was working. I was doing the PR for Quicksilver. Right. So this is when you work for this agency. Exactly. What was the agency? It was called Exposure. Okay. I, I yeah. didn't realize you worked for Exposure. Yeah. We must have definitely dealt with each other then when I was doing white lines when was this late 90s yeah it would have been late 90s right late 90s and i left like 2000 so around the corner yeah from yeah. where we are now like literally around We're on the Regent corner Street now. i've come home <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's literally like a yeah a stone's throw yeah it's from quite here, weird it? yeah yeah so you did that for a few years probably like three or four years right early 20s kind of yeah, thing. yeah early 20s wild times yeah for quickie when they had money for quickie when they were like the king brand yeah they were amazing just so like, like quick cup sort of era the quick cup yeah the party train the, the party train oh my god you were on yeah. the party train yes i survived wow. the party train it was me I think it was, I'm going to say 50 men. Yeah. And I think there were three women on the train. Right. Jesus. It was like, it was an eye-opening experience. Yeah. So how, how was that working? Not, not the train. Oh, right. Like, I was like that. There are some <laughs> things that aren't going to be repeated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What goes on tour stays on tour and totally, all that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but so how was that experience? Because, you know, on the, on the surface, that's quite a dream job, really. You know, yeah. for somebody who is into surfing, wants to travel, Get going straight into that job, massive PR agency, yeah, great client. Yeah, was that enjoyable? Yeah, it. I literally, I walked out of my degree. I'd done fashion promotion, and the whole time I'd been doing projects around surfing. Right. So I literally walked into my dream job with a dream client, and it actually was the dream. Yeah. It, like like you said, it was Quicksilver at the top of their heyday. Loads of money, great surfers, great riders great events great parties it was like the biggest and the best and yeah you know you got to be part of that club yeah and how how was it um i'm gonna ask the very obvious question go for it yeah how was it being, being a woman in that world um i think at the time you're kind of your early 20s so i was probably quite naive um but it was fun and exciting. I think I said to you before we started, you did get the odd neck massage. Yeah. Which wasn't always the neck massage you wanted. But I think I kind of rebuffed it and I just I just kind of cracked on and treaded my own path. And actually, I don't know. I don't think I had necessarily had the same experience as a lot of other women yeah. in board sports. Right. Um, you know, it's very much like my own experience, which is I think I just you find your own coping mechanism, don't you? The way you deal with things. Yeah. So, you know, you become like just an ear. If someone wants to tell you their story, you just go, yeah, come on, let's, let's talk about something. Let's talk about your girlfriend at home, shall we? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah, coping with yeah, that, that environment. Yeah, I, I guess so, yeah. 
Yeah, and it seems like, you know, when you look back on it now in comparison with how people would be today, it seems like a really dated way of dealing with stuff. Yeah. But I guess it was just, it was of the time. Yeah, the past is a foreign country. It really is. And all that. It really is though, yeah, isn't I it? Yeah, I mean, it's only 20 years ago, but yeah, definitely um, not as woke as today's standards, no. let's say. No, in, in a In a notoriously unwoke industry as well. Yeah, but I think as well, like, it was it wasn't just the heyday for Quicksilver it was a heyday for Roxy yeah right so I wasn't just surrounded by a lot of really excellent male surfers I was surrounded by some incredibly iconic female surfers as well like I got to meet people like Lisa Anderson and like that was when like Veronica Kay was at the top of her game Cassia Meador you know for me to be able to surround myself with those sort of people it it absolutely made more than made up for anything else yeah and w- i suppose that was how i focused on things that, and uh, would i be right in thinking this was the point when um roxy marketed those women for their surfing before Absolutely. it became the i mean this well-trodden path but yeah like initially it was a very empowering brand right it was about like let's put these women on the totally. give them the same platform as their male counterparts totally their athletes it's positive it was yeah yeah like there was there was no one more iconic than lisa yeah right you know she was on the cover of surfer magazine she was there because she surfed just at the top of anyone's game it wasn't there as a token gesture she was she was there because she earned it yeah and so i think that was really inspiring i think that's all the stuff that i probably focused on more yeah probably put my own pr spin on it it's your job <laughs> yeah so, i mean like you know i i saw other things you know yeah like drop-offs in the middle of the basque region to go and see other exotic slices of life which yeah. when you're on a press trip you try and hide from the press yeah but you know name of the game yeah <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> Um, yeah, and that party train is is legendary, isn't it? It was amazing. And then whenever you mention anyone to anybody who was around that time, the words Quicksilver, like early 2000s, it's like party train. Yeah. It was just amazing. I so think... basically to so people who are like, what the fuck are they talking about? Um, quick cop, surfing in Biarritz. Surfing in Biarritz. Snowboarding in Les Arcs. And skating. And skating. In Biarritz. Yeah, so it was like, the all like the best all rounder was it just quickie athletes it was that's a good question i actually don't think it was because i remember no it was they just invited the best of the best because like christian fletcher was there and terrier was there exactly yeah um i mean it's you know what thinking right now it's quite funny isn't it because there's so much hand wringing particularly in snowboarding and and now recently in surfing especially like last two weeks with the wave pool comp um but essentially there's all this hand wringing about like the perfect comp format and it's a pretty simple idea you know let's take all these people that are multitaskers and get them to compete in each and see who's the best i think i still think it's like hands down one of the best events i've ever ever had the luck to be part of yeah well you know it makes you wonder why no one's done it again really i don't know i think it was um it was buffalo's brainchild so buffalo at quicksilver and it was just, yeah, you handpicked the best of each of those sports. I think they even had a guy who was a skimboarder. Right. Um, was it Dave Post? 
I think he was a world famous skimboarder. Um, but yeah, it was it was so exciting to watch it and so exciting to survive the party train. Yeah, so the train was then <laughs> everyone got the train from Biarritz to like Borg Samaris or something, right? Yeah, I've got to be honest, the details yeah. are quite hazy. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, you, you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and they stopped off for pizza. Right. Like that was a major deal. We pulled up at a platform somewhere and someone had like, I don't know, I'm going to say like a two meter high stack of pizzas right. that got thrown onto the train to like so- soak up some of the beer. I mean, that is pretty funny now. You know, me and you for a living, as we'll get to, basically try and get money out of the industry. Yeah. Um, and the, the the idea of the, those days now is quite comedy, really. I, was, I interviewed somebody yesterday who was talking about um, being on a trip with uh, with some skaters and a, and a market manager who blew like 15 grand in a bar. <laughs> and like at the same time that he was trying to get budget out of the same guy and the same guy was saying to him like, oh yeah, sorry, we can't afford that. Um, but then basically when, you know, when they went out, he's like, oh yeah, like just going to pay for all this. Like Jesus. But you know, back then the industry had money basically. It had it? so, it was so much cash sloshing around. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was amazing. And then you kind of go, they threw it all away. It's like they killed the golden goose. So you did that for three, three years? Yeah, like About three, that. yeah, like three or four years. Um, and then during that time, um, I met Chris, Chris Nelson. He was the editor of Free Ride magazine, which was a surf skate snowboard magazine. Chris Nelson was the second person to ever commission me. Oh, no way. Yeah, when I was 19 for, um. for Asylum. Oh, yeah. The precursor to Free Ride magazine. Yeah, Asylum was sick. Yeah, um, which was like a really big deal for me at the time because I'd started writing for White Lines and Snowboard UK. And, you know, essentially it was because my my mates were good snowboarders and it was like, oh yeah, he can, you know, he can string a sentence together, like, great, you know. And then I was a bit like, I was 19 and I was a bit like, well, I wonder if I can actually make a living from this. So I kind of started like, try, you know, you try and work all that out, don't you? You try and yeah. work out if you can, like how it all works. And I can't remember I ended up getting in touch with Chris, but he was super cool. He was like, oh yeah, come to Leeds. Like, you know, we'll have a chat. Um, and then yeah commissioned me to do like stuff on snowboarding for asylum and then yeah it went to free ride didn't it yeah which again is when you look back really ahead of its time it really was because it was because free ride was a free magazine yeah which and it's like everyone has a free magazine now but i don't think there were any no I everyone was, was still trying to like do the model and do. he just went that mod the advertising you know and getting people to buy it doesn't work yeah. why don't we get the advertisers to subsidize for the consumer yeah um yeah and a crossover magazine as well yeah surf skates no so yeah so we met basically thanks to my job right <laughs> i think i invited him on a press trip right classic story yeah there you go. boy meets girl <laughs> on press trip on press trip yeah happens on a press trip stays on a press trip yeah but needless to say about 12 months later we both handed in our notices right um because we decided that we wanted to go away and write a book together yeah surfing europe surfing europe yeah yeah. and it came about because i think we went to whitby one christmas right um and it i mean it was really bleak and beautiful where we stayed it was like a 
someone had left a cooker outside that was dripping on all night and yeah fire wouldn't light and i was like you know what when your time is precious and you've only got a short window you want to make sure that when you want to go surfing you can stay somewhere really nice and yeah. you can eat good food and wouldn't it be really good if there was a book that did that yeah and we went oh. well there was, was the storm rider out storm rider was out yeah, yeah. but storm rider it did such a beautiful job because it just told everyone about all these amazing waves all over the world. But yours was more a guidebook, wasn't it? Yeah, we kind of wanted to be able to go, look, maximize your water time by not needing to find out where to stay. Yeah. Because ultimately as a surfer, you want, either want to stay in a campsite or somewhere cheap and yeah. cheerful. You kind of want to spend your money on your travel, don't you? Yeah. And you want to know where you can get a board fixed, what to do if it's flat. And we went, oh, why don't we write a book? Right. And we were super naive. We just went, yeah, so we'll just jack in our jobs. I told Exposure and they just went, you're crackers. Um, Chris wrapped up the magazine and um, we bought a camper van and we went round Europe for a year. Just... On spec. On spec. Right. So yeah. you didn't have a publisher at that no, point? No, we had nothing. Right. We <laughs> no, yeah kind of crackers i guess yeah so you drove from so we did it was it was quite interesting timing because um we went to ireland for the quicksilver masters that's where we started our trip yeah and then we came back to leeds and then we were going to drive up to scotland and it was september the 11th oh wow and we were about to set off on our trip and we were at chris's mum's house and we were just having a sandwich. Right. And she walked into the room and she went, you won't believe what I'm looking at on TV. And we went into the lounge and we just sat there and we watched the horror unfold. And we just went, holy shit, the world is just fucking collapsing. This yeah. is awful. And then we kind of went, well, what do we do now? And we went, well, if this is the end of the world, let's drive to Scotland because where else would you rather be yeah so we kind of we set off really late that night and it was a little bit it wasn't pre-mobile phones because people had them but they didn't really use them yeah so well, you, you, you just made phone calls yeah and they were really expensive so you didn't really, really do that <laughs> no and like you know we didn't have jobs anymore so yeah. we're like saving the pennies so it was it was really it was a really confusing time to go on the road but also a really great liberating time yeah um so yeah we went to scotland we explored there went to the orkney isles scored some amazing waves right really empty waves and then we drove south through europe so france spain portugal um but again because it was the year that of 9 11 when we got to france we we timed it that we were going to be there for one of the big events and a load of the competitors hadn't turned up. Right. Um, I think a lot of the Americans almost, they didn't boycott it, but they didn't want to travel and I totally well, that, understand that. Yeah. And it was a weird time, wasn't it? Because quaint as it sounds, that was like this whole, whole sort of like freedom fries era, wasn't it? Where yeah. there was like a load of anti-French prejudice. Yeah, you know, in the states, and just a very strange time culturally, really. Yeah, it really was, and not only that, it was as we drove down through Europe, it was all separate currencies, and as we drove back up through Europe, 
the euro had just come in. Right. So it was a real time of change. Right. So you were basically living through this like very culturally um, unusual time and had also personally made a massive change in your life. Yeah. So, yeah, imagine that felt quite um, out there, really. It, it did feel out there. And a, a lot of people kind of questioned what we were doing. Yeah. It seems like a very strange decision, I think, to... Oh, like, you know, my parents were just like, well, you've just been through university and you've got a degree and you've got your dream job. And yeah, now you're... what are you doing? What you doing? Yeah. But I went, well, you kind of brought me out with travel. Yeah. I'm obviously always going to go traveling. This seems like a way I might be able to finance it. So you were you actively researching as well? Yeah. So we were like real... We were really diligent. Yeah. And so people, people would go, oh, you you traveling through Europe, we go, oh no, we're researching a book. Right. Because we had such utter belief in what we were doing, like blind belief. Yeah. That it, it was going to be fact. So we took a video camera with us. So we filmed our whole road trip. Right. No way. Well, which is also like really kind of ahead of its time. Yeah. You were creating content. We totally were. <laughs> but then we went. And no way did you call it creating content. No. Yeah. We were like, how should we go and create some content around Europe? Yeah, you were influencers. We were we were pre-influencers. Yeah. We were proto-influencers. We were proto, yeah. We were underground. Yeah, <laughs> that's great though. Yeah, it was it was really exciting, and I I took photographs the whole way around Europe. Yeah, because they're all in the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we hooked up with surfers everywhere we went, um, and it was really nice. Like we made friendships with people that have sort of stayed. People like. Um, Kepa, Kepa Asiro, yeah. who's who's like a massive friend of the festival. Um, yeah, it was a it was a really wonderful time. Yeah, but yeah, we were actively, I guess, documenting our trip. Yeah, because we were like, yeah, no, this is definitely going to get picked up. We were like, and it's definitely going to get picked up by Lonely Planet. Right. So imagine our shock when we sent off our proposal to Lonely Planet, and they said no. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, that happens, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, we were we were like, really? Yeah, is this, this is a brilliant idea. Is this letter right? Yeah. Um, and then I think we bought we bought a footprint book, and I'd never heard of them before. Right. Um, really old school publishers, like proper tissue paper, thin paper. Yeah. Black and white, and we went ah. Oh, I like these guys because their books were really good. We yeah. used one on a trip and we went, these guys know their stuff. They're really diligent. Um, so we approached them and we went, hey, you know these black and white books you do? Well, what if we do one that's a square format, full color surf and travel guide? And they went, oh, I think that sounds like a great idea. We were just like, holy shit. We got a publisher. Yeah. The great Alan Murphy. The great Alan Murphy. Yeah. Well, Patrick Dawson, obviously, the founder. Yeah. Well, not the founder, but he was the publishing the family, director. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, through Alan, um, yeah, we we actually got our book commissioned. Yeah. Yeah, well, I remember, so because I, I don't know if you remember, but that is basically where me and Chris and Ewan got the idea for the snowboarding one. Yeah, because after, so we did the surfing book we kind of created a template yeah. of how to do it and i emailed chris and said your book's great 
who who's your guy at footprint and bless him he said yeah it's alan go, go for it yeah um well yeah because i mean well we were never going to do a snowboarding book yeah so and and you and i remember it really clearly because obviously what footprint did was they then said oh we've got a little format here. we've got like a bit of a cultural yeah so yeah we did snowboarding the world and um did you do the mount there was a mountain biking book yeah we did we did snowboarding the world ski in europe mountain bike in europe and mountain bike in britain yeah um and then we were gonna do another snowboarding one but um i think by that point both parties were you know i mean you reached the end it's a lot of work so much let's just put it that way i mean i remember being so that's the hardest i'd ever worked in my life at that point getting that book done yeah Uh, yeah because when you look at a book you don't see the effort. No. It's a bit like going can, watching a play. Yeah. You shouldn't see the effort. You should just see the end result. Well, you look at it and you go, all right, 400 page book. That must be a lot of work. But then when you actually have to copy edit a 400 page book. Or, and find the photos. Or find the photos for it. Yeah, and make sure all the information's right. Yeah. And make sure, because you don't forget, that was the day of slide photos. Yeah. Which makes me feel ancient. Yeah. So you had to make sure And that, they had no money. Yeah, but you had to make sure like Mandaka had been scanned the right way round. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more difficult. Because it wasn't. Um, oh, but luckily we pr- picked that we up had in the proofs. We had a skier in Snowboard in the World. Awkward. Yeah, which we didn't notice. Got Aww. a press shot. I sent the, I sent the picture to the, the, the page, scan to the guy. Because he just sent me like a press folder. Yeah. And you couldn't, to be fair, you couldn't really tell it was a skier. That's what I'm telling myself. Could you feel anyway. it, Alan? Though? If you're listening, I'm very sorry about this. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, great. Next time, maybe use a snowboard and not a skier." And we were like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you've actually put fucking skier in the snowboarding book." But anyway, yeah, you know, those things do happen. Yeah, because you you're you're up against it, aren't you? Yeah, it, yeah, it's so much work. That's why I asked you if you'd purposefully researched it. Cause yeah, because I, I guess like. <clears throat> If you don't, you'd only do that if you'd never done it, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Because you'd be like, yeah, we're going to do this. And, you know, like that's, and also why I said on spec, because that is just a massive undertaking. It is. To take on on spec. Yeah. But it's because we had blind self-belief. Yeah. There was no part of me that ever thought it wasn't going to get commissioned. Right. It's amazing. Like what being in your early twenties and, and just not not knowing any different will do for you it's, yeah. it's fantastic yeah yeah um <laughs> did you consider the the kind of um local implications of it yeah so there were loads of spots that we went to that we didn't put in yeah and i think i think chris really informed that i have to say because coming from the northeast of england it's quite there are quite a few precious spots up there. I think around in Cornwall, you know, most most people know about most of the spots. Yeah. So there's localism, but it's not so many secret spots. But the Northeast, it's, there's still plenty of secret spots. Yeah. So that's his background because that's where he's from. Yeah. So we very much traveled with that in mind. He's always been very sympathetic, um, journalist and writer about that part of the culture hasn't he and he's also like oh, i've always thought he's always struck a balance really nicely between being sympathetic to to that which you need to be yeah but also celebrating it as well yeah you know in a, in a, in a way that 
treads a careful line, let's say. It's not easy to do. It's really not. No. And actually, the more I travel, the less I write about it. Yeah. Like there are spots that I go to and I go, oh, this would make such a great article. But I don't want to share it. I don't want to share it. I'd rather just keep it to myself. Yeah. And that's a really difficult challenge if you're a writer. Yeah. Yeah, well, I got... <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy. Well, I went to Strand Hill last year and they... Well, we did. And we, me and Owen, and we did... Uh, we went there to do a load of podcasts. And I also mm. got commissioned by Metro to go and do a story about Strand Hill. And I actually just didn't do it in the end. No. Because... I just thought the last thing this place needs, I mean, and it's, God, it's not like, you know, it's not mm-hmm. even, it's just a, it's just a small town, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if, if you can call it that, but you could just sit like super welcoming place, but it just felt like it wouldn't be doing any favors to, to actually print a, no. Hey, the new surfing capital of Ireland sort of, you know, broad stroke piece. Yeah. I was just a bit like, don't know. That's it. Don't want to go near that really. No. And it's like, you kind of, you want to be able to sleep at night. Yeah, you know, you don't want to feel dirty because ultimately it's like it's our culture. Yeah, and you don't you don't want to damage the thing you love. Yeah, which is why I asked the question really because again, the work you and Chris have done over the years is obviously like you obviously take that seriously. You know, you obviously take the culture. You try and do it justice. You pay homage to it. You know, like you that that's a big part of what you do. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just interested to how because because obviously doing something like a guidebook is it is is a difficult balancing act it in really that is it really is i think we always tried to meet up with like the key local surfers wherever we went and almost got their take and if they went if you put that in we'll kill you yeah we thought better of it so yeah we we did the thing that you should always do and that's just have a conversation with the people who were there and find out how they feel about it you know, um, Chris went to Iceland a couple of years ago to do another book, Coldwater Souls. And he said that they were too welcoming. And he told them that. He went, you need to not be showing me these spots. I'm a writer. That's what I do. Yeah. And they were like, no, because there's, there's 10 of us. And he said, there's 10 of you now. But in 10 years time, there won't be. Yeah. So he was like having to actively say to them, don't open your door to me quite yeah. so wide it's lovely that you're doing it but yeah. well, kind of... not everyone's going to be as scrupulous as me maybe yeah yeah well which is very true isn't it yeah yeah cold water souls i was going to mention that because what's that 10 10 years old maybe you said a couple of years but it's older than that isn't it God, it, is, yeah. it must be it must be because we were um, still doing stuff for footprint when that came out yeah so we did surfing europe surfing britain, britain yeah surfing the world yeah which was a personal highlight. Yeah, sure, right. Um, and then, yeah, Chris did Cold Souls and I did like a, more like an adventure travel book. So it must be maybe nearly 10 years, yeah. maybe like eight. Yeah, and what, what was it that ended that sort of chapter? I think we just wanted to do something different. Yeah. I think we just wanted... I don't know. I think we wanted a new challenge. It's a bit like, it's a bit like when we set off, we'd never written a book before. And then we wrote books and we wrote, I think we maybe did about seven or eight books with them, which was such a great part of our lives. And then we went, we kind of want to do a new challenge. Yeah. Um, 
which is really where the festival came in. Right. But you also did agency stuff as well, right? You, and, yeah. And, you know, you've had a couple of ventures where you've, they've always been super creative and, and again, trying to like articulate the space as you see it, if you like. Yeah. So was that, was that also at this, this kind of time? Yeah. And that always sort of ran alongside it. Um, it was just, yeah, a lot of writing, some brand work, but it was nice being able to sort of pick, pick and choose the people you work with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we really like creating things. I think that's really uh, like how we work best together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, I think that's kind of really what led us into doing LSSF. Yeah. So where'd that idea come from? Where all good ideas come from. The kitchen table. <laughs> I wonder what you're going to say. <laughs> so there we were. So I think, where did my good ideas come yeah. from? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We kind of went, I think, so Chris had done Cold Souls. He'd spoken to Tyler Brewer, who is one of the founders yeah. of the New York Surf Film Festival um, for his East Coast chapter. And we'd been like ruminating going, oh, I'd really like to go to an event that kind of celebrated surf culture. And then he spoke to Tyler and I think we just kind of went, well, if you, we want to go to this event and there isn't an event and no one else is doing it, why don't we do it? Because like we're already speaking to the surfers, we're already speaking to the photographers, we know a load of the filmmakers, let's do it. It kind of like, in a way, it's like a, a live magazine. You know, it's kind of bringing together art, music, yeah, right. film, so, culture. It's, it's editorial. Interviews, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And we went, holy shit, this is this is a thing. Yeah. We want to do this. Oh, so you did look at it in those terms. You could see it's yeah. like in the same way that you'd put together a magazine or you'd put together... Well, yeah, because you do... I mean, I really hate the word curate. Yeah. So I'm not going to use it, but I can't... Program. Yes. You Basically, you pull together the best bits that resonate with you. Yeah. And that's kind of what we did. Um, so yeah, we just went, right, let's, let's do it. And we did it in the same way that we did our books. We I was going to, I was going to say what with blind faith. <laughs> with blind faith. Uh, yeah. Like we went around London, we found venues, you know, some people were just like, what do you mean? It's a surf film festival. Yeah. I don't understand. In London. In, yeah. In October. Yeah. Yeah. And then we went to the Riverside. Yeah. That was great. Ven that it venue. was the best it was the best place to start. Hammersmith, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it had so much history there. You know, like they'd filmed Old Grey Whistle Test there. Yeah. It was a cinema. It was a theatre. And it had that really great energy. Right. Because a lot of the venues I went to, I kind of went, you're not that nice to me and we want to hire the place. Yeah. I can't imagine what you're going to be like to people who want to come and watch a night of film. Yeah. So I was like, okay. That was kind of my criteria. Right. Based on how welcoming people were because i was like that's the big part of it for me yeah um yeah and then we found the riverside and we just went this is amazing right we're doing it okay let's get some films yeah okay how do we get this sponsored yeah well that's the next thing isn't it yeah because it's that whole thing of we we wanted to do it in a way that meant it almost like took the burden of the cost away from the people who wanted to come yeah, well, back to the free ride thing or 
you know that that model that exists now exactly to sort of make the industry pay for it and yeah i mean it we never wanted to do a free event because i don't want to devalue it yeah because filmmakers put so much work in yeah um it's funny that isn't it me and owen are talking about doing a book at the minute yeah about the podcast um i think that's a great idea well we're, we're like we're basically like i think in our heads we're like just assume we're going to give it away no and but then i was thinking about the other day and i was a bit like no we should definitely charge for it yeah but it's like weird isn't it because you kind of don't want to again you don't want to make it too out of reach for people but at the same time you don't want to devalue it it's difficult i always find it really difficult to kind of yeah work out where that sweet spot is really and i think so many people you know they write for free oh and you must know people who are starting out who take photos for free yeah yeah. It's good exposure. It's good exposure. <laughs> and we've all used the line and we've all taken the line. Yeah, I got and asked to do a live podcast recently and I said, great, how much is it? And he said, oh, it's great exposure. And I was a bit like, mm, I think I'm a bit bit past that now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And that's the thing, you know, it's like you have to kind of have a value to what you do. Yeah, I think it's really important. I think you need to, I think that combination of what you're talking about, like kind of, naivety so you can hit your creative goals and you cannot be overfaced by the task of for example funding a sort of film festival in in our industry because yeah. that is obviously quite a tough brief you know I, yeah. I look at that and i'm a bit like yeah okay that'd be tricky you know yeah but you did but you pulled it off you did it so i think it's that balance isn't it of being like able to deliver that commercially and understanding yeah. where the value is and, and being able to do that but equally having the idealism to still use that process to represent what you believe in which is what you've kind of done right yeah i hope so i mean that's kind of what we like strive for i sometimes think you know if we had were less idealistic we'd have had a different raft of sponsors but we've always been very specific about who we want to work with so yeah that's kind of that's always been our mindset really so was it daunting to get it funded or was the was this um, the excellent blind self-belief that helped really helped and was it difficult or did um, people buy into it do you know what we sat down with janine hearn um and she was uh, i think she was looking after reef and vans at the time for VF call and we sat down with her and I think she was the first person I had the major conversation with and she went yeah no I get it I think it sounds great and I was like okay right okay I was like so somebody gets it and someone will believe in it yeah and that's kind of all you need to get your ball rolling and and to help the blind confidence turn into actual confidence yeah because it's hard if you believe in something and you think it's a great idea to try and actually get someone else to believe in it too. Yeah. Well, especially um, when it's new. Exactly. Gets no, easier. It does. Yeah, when, you, when you've sort of done it and you can show... Totally, because you can show the photos and go, you know the thing? This is what it looks like. Well, you can and drop the names as well, can't you? Yeah. You know, like, oh yeah, well, we had, uh, you know, we had Lisa Anderson here. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, like the first year we had Keith Malloy, yeah. who was just like, yeah, he was my first idol who came. Yeah. You know. So how did you go around booking people like that? Was that again, because you, you obviously built up your contacts over the years yeah, and your network through doing all these different projects, through yeah. working at Quick. So did that really help? 
I think it helped in terms of, I guess, knowing how to approach people and knowing what people also needed to get out of it. Um, but yeah, God, like, you know what it's like. People change within their job roles, like, what, every two years? So probably everyone I knew at Quicksilver when I worked there, yeah, you know, eight years later when I'm doing a festival, it's a whole different raft of people. Yeah. But yeah, it was more just about just sometimes like cold calling, sometimes just reaching out, saying, hey, you got a cool project. Yeah. Yeah. So did you feel a responsibility to also reflect British surfing in that? Definitely. Because obviously it's London Surf Film Festival. And, and you know, let's be honest, there's, there's a circuit, isn't there, of surf film festivals? Where there definitely is now. Actually, that's probably true, right? It's probably yeah. what, what wasn't the case when you started. No, when we started... I mean, obviously there was New York. Yeah. And then I think a year later they'd gone. There was Sancho in San Sebastian. Anglet and us. Right. I, I think there might have been one in Australia as well. Yeah. So there were there was like a handful. Um, so yeah, it was still quite novel. Yeah. But balancing the bigger releases... The stuff that, that the oh. industry wants wants you to to, yeah. to use your platform for, and also yeah. the the sort of unique culture that we have here, which again is something that you guys are very immersed in and have have long been a part of. So yeah, I think yeah, very much so. We kind of never wanted it to be um, just a brand film festival. It's our whole thing is about we want to support independent filmmakers. Yeah, and you know, saying about yes, we very much wanted to support British surf culture as well that's why we set up a strand of our festival called the shorties yeah i was gonna ask you about that it's yeah great. um and i have to be honest it's one of my favorite elements of the festival well it's it's definitely um quite unique and also just a great platform isn't it exactly for people yeah because our culture is so different you know in the uk we're not california no we're not australia we're very unique you know our water can be cold but not absolutely freezing you know it's not beautiful snowy it's just it's just a bit cold sometimes it's gray yeah you know sometimes we've got to work hard for the surf but yeah it's ours and so we wanted to create something that very much allowed homegrown talents to kind of have a platform raise their profile and actually showcase what we've got here in the uk um so yeah the shorties it's um UK and Irish filmmakers or people who are based in the UK and Ireland um, can submit a film up to five minutes in length, any aspect or angle of surfing. And then we have a long list that gets whittled down into a short list of films that we showcase. And it's whittled down by, it's viewed by a judging panel who's made up of the industry, it's film and surf. And then we have um, a public vote as well. And it's not, because I was like, oh, I'm not sure about public vote. But it's not about it being a popularity contest. It's more about having a reason to be able to shout about your own project. Because I think sometimes people can be really reticent about saying, I've got a new film, especially in the UK. We're quite shy about coming forward. So sometimes it's a good reason to be able to say to people, watch my film. Yeah. If you like it, vote for it. I might get onto the screen. So that was kind of the idea there. 
it's more just like shout about what you've created yeah well it's i mean it's what it's always the thing that you see isn't it in the lead up yeah because i even you know i hit you up didn't i, I said oh yeah. what's the shortlist you know yeah because because this time of year i'm always like oh yeah that's going to be out now yeah and it's always a great snapshot of of that culture yeah definitely so how did it um because you you know you've had a lot of venue changes you've yeah. had to cope with a lot of those sort of shifting local yeah. issues because the riverside closed down yeah um and that was devastating i was gutting love that bar everything about it was incredible but I think in their wisdom they decided that London needed more luxury flats as opposed to an independent arts venue I mean it's hard to argue with that especially especially in West London exactly you know so but we were really fortunate in that the cinema director um at the Riverside um came to the Regent Street Cinema right um and she invited us to bring the festival here um which we did after a, a brief stint in East London. Yeah, you were at Whitechapel, right? Yeah, we were at the Genesis. Um, it was a really big, really cool venue. Packed it out. It's like 550-seater. But again, it's that thing of like commercial decisions or, um, I don't know, creating the event you want to create. Like for us, part of it is about being able to have that conversation with people about what they've just seen. Yeah. And I think with 550 people in a screen, it kind of almost lost its edge. I uh, really, so it almost got too big. Yeah, it. that's how I felt. Right. I was like, do you know what? I'm just watching people queuing for a drink and they're not chatting to their friend. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And I was like, what's the point? Yeah. It's not about, in a way, it's not about getting hundreds of people to watch a film. I want it to feel special. Right. I want people to really engage with what they're seeing. I want them to engage with the filmmakers who are there. I want them to be able to have that time. Just like take some time out and just be here now, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a lovely part of it, that that kind of community, everybody getting together afterwards, having a beer, like having a chat. Because you know, that's what you do, isn't it? When you, when that's you, it. When you go for a surf watch a film like whatever yeah. it is it's a crucial part of it i think that's it we wanted it to feel as as much like the experience we have on the beach as it can yeah and i think with yeah 550 people i was like yes yeah, it's, it's really cool that it's a big venue but who's it cool for yeah sponsors maybe yeah but that's that has to only be part of the equation. yeah exactly then you if you put that first then you're already moving away from yeah. what the point was aren't you really yeah so yeah so we're here now at the regent street cinema yeah and it's i mean i love it i do feel like i do their press right because i'm always trotting out going it's the birthplace of british cinema <laughs> well it's got that vibe <laughs> but it actually is yeah it actually yeah, yeah, is yeah yeah right. cine lumiere brothers showed the very first moving picture here oh right wow yeah okay so it's got proper heritage right well, that's nice as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, that's a really nice kind of bit of synchronicity. I think so. You know, with I what think you try so. to do. I, you know, we went, we, you want it to have a bit of weight, a bit of gravitas. Yeah. You want it to feel like an occasion and a surf film festival, of course. You want it to be noisy, but you want it to be special. Yeah. Uh, so do you, what is it, five days? So we do four nights here. Yeah. At the Regent Street. And then we do pop-up events. So um, often we do an event at 71A because Huck Magazine, again, they're like 
long-time friends, long-time yeah. partners. Always so, supported it. Always supported it. I think, yeah, Chris and I used to write for Adrenaline. Oh, we've, you go back a long way with Mike, don't you? Yeah, yeah we've yeah, written, yeah. but like Vince as well with Huck. Yeah. Um, I think we've both written for Huck. So again, it's like, it's a, it's a nice natural relationship. Yeah. It's like, it's come from an honest place. Yeah. So yeah, we always do something with those guys and we always go um, and do something with the guys at All Press. Yeah. In East London. Um, and again, they've got links to surfing. So I think they, they're based in New Zealand. Um, it's Rob and Jeremy, actually, right. who are Two Eyes Film, who did The Shaper. Um, and uh, yeah, they've done some really excellent films. So the pop-ups are about representing kind of the other part of surf culture then? They're a bit looser, yeah. yeah. So you have talks and exhibitions. Exactly, and- exactly. And, you know like very often we do the all press night as a bit of a charity fundraiser yeah so last year i think we raised like 1500 pounds for waves for change last year because it's really nice because you know surfing should give back you get so much out of surfing you want to put something back in there yeah so yeah that's that's like a big part of what we do is you know you kind of want it to feel community yeah but in the wider sense yeah and do you, do you have ambitions to make it creatively um, you know, to surpass yourself each year? Because, you know, this year you've got, like, live, live soundtrack stuff going on, right? Yeah. You know, you've got Chris McLean showing his new film. You've got yeah. CJ Mirror and Leanne Curran going to perform the soundtrack live, right? Which is obviously, like, a like a great spectacle. It's going to be incredible. We did something. We were lucky enough to show Chasing Zero, which was a previous collaboration between Chris McLean and CJ Mirror which was a live audiovisual showcase. Yeah. And we're, yeah, it's, we've got their world premiere of their latest um, performance. And if it's anything like the previous one, it just, it just stayed with me. It was, it for, for me, it was like one of the absolute standout highlights. It was just so immersive. It was like spine chilling, beautiful but ephemeral yeah you know we were like it captures that essence of surfing they're performing live they're they're just going with the flow anything might happen it's going to be different each time they perform it and i love that i like that feeling of jeopardy which seems you know alarming for other people who might run events to have embrace the idea of jeopardy but it's well it's another level of complexity for you as an organizer isn't it to to try and pull that off but that's what i mean it seems like you're constantly trying to look at new ways of presenting it yeah i think so and like we've got um alex nost coming over this year which i'm really excited about um so you got him to answer an email <laughs> why are you doing better than me <laughs> it's all about who you know love. yeah it's all of course about it is you know. yeah yeah no i thought i'd add that in we went when we went to california it's like alex nost yeah yeah no chance oh but maybe this year Yes. At the festival. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. So he's got a film out. He's got, yeah, Tan Madonna. Have you seen it? Not yet. No. You should, uh, are you going to come on the Saturday when he's here? Yeah, well, I want to come and see the performance. Yeah. For sure, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'll be around. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, wait and see it on the big screen. I think it'll really blow your mind there. Yeah. Because it's like that whole surfing is just incredible. Like Mikey February, who's just so stylish. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So how long does it take? Is it a year-round job to put this together? Yeah, 
I mean, not... Is that what you not, do full, full time? No, no. So we, um, we write as well. So um, we've written a couple of films. Like we wrote um, the Jack O'Neill tribute film, which came out a couple of years ago, which was a really beautiful project to be able to work on. Um, and we were out in Hawaii at the start of the year because we were commissioned to write a feature film. And I'd love to be able to tell you more, but that's what NDAs are all about, right? Yeah, right. Great. That's exciting, man. Um, yeah. What, by a studio? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. How's that? Blind faith? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ex- ex- got, exciting. Went and it's got like, saved the cat out of the... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like the next step, you know, we've kind of written um, a couple of documentary series um, about sort of countercultural heroes and icons. So, you know, getting to write a feature film just felt like the next step really which is really exciting so is that going to come out or are you currently in development now um i think it's currently in development right yeah that's really great yeah brilliant yeah so when can people find out more about that it's film isn't it yeah maybe <laughs> never <laughs> maybe who <knows>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, so that's sort of like you know that's that's one half of our day job the other side of what we do is a festival and it does it it runs throughout the year it's great yeah. like literally the festival will close and i'll get an email from someone going i've got a film coming out yeah. and i'm like yeah i can't wait to see it so it is year round but not full time right so i guess the next question is what's next really because you know you've you've described one career and then another part of your life with the with the books and then you've done this and you, you've just mentioned the film obviously but that sounds more like a little project but not a little project but you know what I mean like a so is there so it feels like you're coming up to the, the, the next decade and the next sort of grand plan do you have yeah, one of those it does doesn't it um yeah we've got a couple of film projects that we're working on actually at the moment yeah um because yeah it's a like storytelling is what we do it's it's yeah it's, I want to be able to do that in a more immersive way and definitely film really lends itself to that doesn't it yeah it's like the next step isn't it have you done any film writing uh i've written a script i wrote a spec script um probably about four years ago yeah just for i just had an idea really Mm. um and that's why i made the gag about save the cat because i you know i did end up like how you have to I had to learn the form. Yeah. You know, I'd never done any film screenwriting before. Yeah. So I basically spent about six months actually just trying to get my head around the form and then wrote the script. Um, And I actually really enjoyed it because I I enjoyed the formality of it. I do. I really like that. I like details. Yeah. I liked the fact that you had to understand a format and a structure and it, and you know, when you get into it it's so formulaic and it obviously there's room for expression and there's room for yeah but there's like what is it three stories right yeah exactly and there's three acts and you know you can but i mean like that no there's like three universal tales and yeah, it's just a take on each exactly yeah and there's reams of literature about all that and you can yeah um i really liked geeking out and all that um but then i really like the act of writing the script because it, it i found it like once once I got into it I just did find it like extremely creative and and also probably the most fun I've had writing yeah for a long time yeah because because you can let your mind go yeah right? you can get this I found the structure gave me permission if you like to 
park the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and just actually try and pour this story out because I was pretty I was pretty fired up by it you know I had thought I had a well I still think it's a good idea I had a good idea and was just sort of got on one for a yeah. couple of years you know and then sort of did it and didn't really do anything with it yeah you know um but I always do stuff like that just because I quite like the it's, I, I did yeah you've got to go through the process I did it for the sake of learning how to do it yeah rather than because I had any great expectation that it would ever get made or yeah. anything um yeah no it's good it's a really good process so was it similar for you did you are you talking feature films by the way yeah yeah so right. this was a feature film so we we'd written quite a few short films before and then, like i said we did a documentary series the yeah. ripple effect um with red bull um and that was great because you're merging basically you know getting to interview these incredible people the guys who founded Wired magazine and yeah. Nolan Bushnell who created Atari, like really interesting humans and you're getting to tell their life story. So I really enjoyed that process. And then, yeah, getting to write a feature film is another step on the journey, if you like, because it was almost merging real life stories with a little bit of fantasy yeah. thrown over the top because film allows you to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I loved the whole process. It was like something you just lost yourself in. Did you find it difficult to... It doesn't sound like you suffer from imposter syndrome. From I mean, That's probably a weird thing to say. The reason I say that is because you, outwardly, you've taken on hugely ambitious projects. And, you know, we've both we've used the kind of joking phrase, blind faith, like a few times in this interview. So I guess a better way of framing that question is, have you had to overcome that to achieve those things? Yeah, I think so. I Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Got to, what's it saying? Fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. Dress for the job that you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the best piece of advice a friend of mine gave me was, um, you've got to do the work you want to do next. Don't do the work that you've done before. And I was like, okay, I really like that. Yeah. Or if you, you know, there's loads of those sort of things, aphorisms, isn't there? Yeah. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong rooms. Exactly. You know, all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of, it's kind of true, isn't it? And I, and I sort of discern that in the pattern of what you've done. You know, there's a there's an upward curve and you're seemingly trying to push it every time with a new project. I just feel like you've got to go for it, right? I don't like the feeling of treading water. I, ju- I like the feeling of moving. Like, however that comes, whether For, that's like just... Forward movement. Forward movement. As in the act of, like, making decisions yeah, to get somewhere. exactly. Even if it's a bad decision, you've got to give it a go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think... I often think that life is actually about making decisions. And if you're at a pass, you just have to make a decision. That's what I try and do personally. Yeah. And I... Like you say, often... It might not be the right decision, but I think the the act of forward motion is is almost the point. Yeah. It, yeah. Not always easy. No, no. And it's, it is difficult if you feel like you're going against the flow. You know, m- most of my friends had, you know, really great jobs, great stable jobs where someone employed them and someone paid them every month. And, you know, sometimes you look and you go, oh, God, what I wouldn't give for that. Yeah. But you've got to be who you are and you've got to do what feels right for you. doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I, That's how I 
feel like I've got a role. Yeah. You know? And is that always how you felt? Or have you had to kind of fight for that sort of... Yeah, I probably had to fight for that a bit, but I just feel like, why not? It's what you got to lose? It's one of the nice things about getting older as well, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think, because you... I've certainly been a bit like and I don't even mean on that like we've got one life like you know I don't even mean I that I just mean like I literally want us to talk in cliches well we're getting there but you know what I mean like it's it's um I, I like the fact that I don't really care nah. about you know quite happy to sort of do things for my own edification these days totally it's like but I feel like that about work I feel like that about life I feel like that about surfing it's like I'm a mat surfer as well as a surfer and a body surfer. And like, everyone thinks it's hilarious. You know, you're there on this inflatable mat. It doesn't look cool. It's not meant to, but it's so much fun. What's it like? It's bonkers. Like you can kind of grab a rail and get an edge and you can trim down the line, but it's ultimately it does whatever it wants to do. Right. And I quite like that. Yeah. I quite like that feeling of, being slightly out of control right how does everyone else in the lineup like that eh, <laughs> you know it's gonna bounce right yeah now, the only other person i know that's that's uh done it is noah lane he was he was raving about it yeah last time it's I spoke so to him. good and like you can take them anywhere yeah and they're really disarming like you can paddle out on a board at a new lineup and people will be like that who the fuck are you yeah but if you swim out on a surf mat they just they don't know what to make of you right they're just like what right it's a talking point yeah yeah and you can sit on the inside you get loads of waves you can go out back drop into a couple and they're like oh okay this is a thing right it's fun and it's like you it's like another board for traveling yeah it's just packs flat hand luggage so if people listen to this what's your recommendation for the festival this year Oh, that is so tough. I know you can't show favoritism. Oh God, this is like my worst question. Because I always have that thing with film. It depends what mood you're in, right? Okay, so I'm going to do three. Because that's what I'm going to do. You're allowed. Okay. So I think you should definitely come and see Satori, which is a story of big wave surfing, but in South Africa. But it's kind of more than that. I saw it and it made me need to go surfing. And it right. was on shore and half a foot. And I went belly boarding. But I just needed to get in the sea after I watched it. And we've got the director coming over, Rick Wall and Dougal Patterson, who's a big wave surfer. He's yeah. amazing. Um, you definitely have to come and see um, CJ, Chris McLean, um, Alex Nost and Leanne Curran. They're all going to be there on Saturday night. We've got Alex presenting Tan Madonna and we've got CJ, Leanne and Chris with Translate, which is just going to blow everybody's minds. Oh, what's going to be my last one? Oh, this is tough. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, and many more. Yeah. Oh, How many are there? We, eight feature films. Right. And but then, then we've got all the shorties as the well. The shorts around that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't commit to the third one. The rest of them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I really want to see, like I said, I really want to see those guys perform live. It's it's amazing. I mean, they're, they're so tight. Yeah. And CJ's just incredible because he's, 
He's a composer. He's a musician. He writes. He's one of those annoying twats, isn't he? Yeah, he can make music using a bow. <laughs> he's really and nice a as well. Horse. Yes, he's gorgeous. And he's really friendly. Really friendly. Yeah, yeah. makes me sick. Yeah, me. Yeah, um, that was great. Thanks for doing it. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, well, we got there in the end. I know. I've been haranguing you for months, haven't I? I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, dragging my heels. No, it's been good. Thank you. Cheers. So there you go. That was me and Demi Taylor. I hope you enjoyed it. I knew that one would be a cracking, relaxed story. And it was a proper pleasure to spend a couple of hours catching up with Demi. If you've not been to the London Surf Film Festival before, I really do implore you to go and check it out. This year's event is being held between October the 9th and 12th at the Regent Street Cinema, right in the middle of that there, London. You can find out what's going on and when over at their website, londonsurffilmfestival.com. I'll be knocking around, so if you're there, come say hello. I'm probably going to go and see the CJ Mirror and Leanne Curran and Alex Nost uh, extravaganza on the Saturday, so maybe I'll see you there. All right, housekeeping corner. Got an email from a listener, which was nice. It's been a while, so I thought I'd read it out. Stephen writes, hello mate, cracking podcast, although I'm a few shows behind at the minute, been a bit busy at work, haven't been able to slip the old Bluetooth ear defenders on and pretend to be busy while living vicariously through your guests. Anyway, thought I'd drop you an email to say I still love the show after listening to nearly 100 episodes and I reckon there's probably only one that I wasn't that into and it's because you were talking way too quietly and I couldn't hear properly what was going on in my workshop. I'm kind of confused, this is me talking obviously, kind of confused as to which that one is, but you know, whatever, one out of a hundred is not bad. Back to Stephen. So that's a bit of a triumph if, if you ask me. I'm into the Patagonia bonus episodes too. I really appreciate how you're trying to balance an income with respect for your listeners. I just thought I'd ping you a message because if I put a load of work into a podcast, I reckon I'd like listeners to message me every now and again to let me know if they liked it. So here I am, and yes, I do. Good work, brother. Keep it up. Well, Stephen, um, you're right. I do like it when people get in touch to give me any type of feedback on the podcast, especially when it's as nice and considered as that. So thanks for that. Definitely helps keep the spirits high when I'm trying to keep myself motivated to keep this whole thing going and thanks for the kind words on the Patagonia type 2 episodes um, obviously the whole finance thing I've talked about a lot and yeah I did basically turn down a lot of sponsorship because I just thought it'd be cringe as fuck and the Patagonia thing seems to be working out pretty well so far obviously I'm just getting into my stride with that one only had two episodes out but I've got some amazing guests and conversations queued up for that so to hear and subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that each episode magically appears in your feed each week or so. So yeah, I do like getting that type of feedback. Well, any feedback. So if you're so inclined, head over to my website, wearelookingsideways.com. Hit that shop button to show your support in mercantile form, i.e. you could buy some merch, which is always nice. Or email me at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com as Stephen did, or you can follow me over at We Look Sideways on Instagram. So what else is going on? Well, after a little bit of time off, I've had a burst of activity and managed to sort out quite a few episodes for the future. They're in the bag, slash on the hard drive, slash in the keep net, couple of crackers in there. It's been great to get back into the swing of things, must say. Uh, also been plotting another trip, perhaps a Portland omnibus, which might happen at the end of this year, um, because they're looking... Cali uh, the, uh, the California one went down pretty well. So if you've got any ideas for Portland, send them my way. That's it, really. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next time. Nice one. <laughs>